Okay, guys, we're in lesson 10. We're going to look at the third part of Abraham's life. There is one more part, and then we're going to move on to the other patriarchs. So we're going to look today at uh, chapters 16 through 19. And again, I'm not going to read these chapters. There's too much material there. We're just kind of going to go through and do a survey of his life and talk about some different things. So just kind of remind you, we're up to chapter 16, so let me just kind of remind you what's happened up to this point. Remember, in chapter 15, he God cut a covenant with, with Abraham, basically saying, I'm going to do all this for you, and you're going to have a son. And it's not an agreement that Abraham made with him, it's the agreement that God made with Abraham based on God, not based on Abraham. So now things get really interesting because he's promised a son. All right, he's promised a son, but he's old. And his wife is 10 years younger than him. Okay, so how's that going to happen? All right, so we see that they get desperate. Okay, so you kind of you can kind of see what's happening in the family dynamic here behind the scenes. Like Abraham's all excited; God told me I'm going to have a son, and Sarah's like, "Really? Did do I'm saying really?" So we're going to see what happens here. So in chapter 16, verses one to 16, we're going to see the birth of Ishmael. Okay, so first of all. Because Sarai was barren, she gave her handmaiden, Hagar, to Abraham to bear a son for her. All right, that just sounds, can I be honest with you, in our modern thinking, does that sound weird to you? Okay, that just sounds really weird. However, in the ancients' mind, it wasn't. First of all, the handmaiden would be a servant, which would be almost like a slave. She probably was a slave. She served Sarai. And what would happen is, is that they would, uh, they had these where you had to have somebody to gain your inheritance. So what ends up happening is, is that Sarai, according to their customs, now gives her handmaiden to Abraham and says, here, if she bears a child, that is my child for you. That was the custom back then. Now, we'll see it later on in Jacob's life as well. Okay, so she becomes a surrogate wife. So you notice I gave you a biblical note there about the customs of the day uh, concerning a surrogate wife. Now, we have surrogates now. They're in the news often. Usually they're from other countries. Thailand is a big place. They're, they're clamping down on that. But in their day, they would do that. And uh, basically, the child would then become the heir. So I gave you some information about Hagar. So after Hagar conceived, she despised Sarai, who in turn chastised Abraham for the situation. This this story always amazes me. If you're a dude here, you're always amazed at this story because you can't figure this one out. The wife comes and says, I can't have a child. You have a child by my handmaiden. Okay. 
He does that. Now the handmaiden's pregnant. The handmaiden says, well, I'm better than you. You know what I'm saying? Look at me. And, and so now Sarai gets upset, and she doesn't just get upset with the handmaiden. She gets upset with who? Abraham, why would you do this to me? And, and of course, if you're Abraham, you're like, what? Do you know what I'm saying? But this is what's going on here. So we've got, can I be honest with you, a dysfunctional family happening here. This is dysfunctional behavior. So here's how Sarai responds. Sarai was abusive to Hagar, which caused her to flee. So here she is, she's being abusive to this pregnant maid, which causes her to flee, okay? Causes her to flee. Then what we see here, is, this is interesting because this is the first time where we see mentioned the angel of the Lord, okay? Now, what you're going to see is, is that the angel of the Lord found Hagar and told her to return as he prophesied about her son. Now, here's you'll notice I gave you a little bit of a note concerning the angel of the Lord. It's referred to many times in the Old Testament. It always has a reference to deity, as if it's God showing up. In fact, of others who interact with the angel of the Lord, they act like it's God showing up. Did you understand what I'm saying? And, and so a lot of theologians will believe that this is actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Okay, so a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. What do you mean by pre-incarnate? Well, before the incarnation, that is being born, conceived and born by Mary. So God shows up and tells her, it's going to be okay, go back, and this is what's going to happen with your son. Okay? So, Ishmael was born to Hagar when Abram was 86 years old. 86 years old. Now, that, folks, that's just old, isn't it? Okay, that's just old. What is it? I, I think I saw... I saw a report a couple of years ago. You guys remember the show, the younger folks wouldn't, but the show The Odd Couple with Oscar and uh, Felix. Okay. Well, the, what I saw in the report was this Felix, who's now in his 80s, just recently fathered a child. I can't even picture being a dad for a newborn at 80-some years old. Okay, that's just weird to us. But obviously it's not weird back then, because they still lived a long time back then, okay? So, Ishmael was born to Hagar when Abram was 86 years old. And so I gave you a historical note there on Ishmael. Now, we get back to, verse, to chapter 17, and God's got to reiterate the promise to Abraham about his seed, that he's going to have a son through Sarai. Because in Abraham's mind, I got my son. Okay, I got my son, Ishmael. But that's not God's plan. Okay? 
God's plan wasn't for him to have a son through Hagar. It was for him to have a son through who? Sarai or Sarah. Okay? So in chapter 17 now, we're going to see in verses 1 to 17 that the covenant is reaffirmed. Okay? So this is like 13 years later. So this isn't just happening next week. This is 13 years later. Okay? So when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and reaffirmed the covenant. Okay? The Lord appeared to him and reaffirmed the covenant. The Lord changes the name of Abraham and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. So he changes their name. So the Lord commands Abraham to establish male circumcision as a sign of the covenant. Male circumcision as a sign of the covenant. And then the Lord promises to bless Sarah and give her a son. So he promises to bless Sarah and give her a son. So in verses 18 through 22 then, we're going to see the issue of Ishmael again. So of course, Abram's got questions. He's got a son now. He has an heir. Even though it's through Hagar, it's still his son, right? Still his son. What about Ishmael? And so when you read the passage, that's like what he's asking here, okay? So Abram assumes that Ishmael would live before the Lord as his descendant. So Abram's assuming, well, Ishmael, okay? Now, but here, notice what the Lord does. The Lord proclaims that Sarah will give birth to a son who will be called Isaac. Now, the word Isaac, the name Isaac means laughter, okay? Laughter, and we're going to see why here soon, okay? Laughter. So, but then the Lord promises to bless Ishmael and to make him a great nation. Now, does anybody know what great people group in the world today claim Ishmael as their father? The Arabs, yes. The Arabs. Yep. Interesting, isn't it? Genesis has a lot of impact on our world today, doesn't it? Okay. So the Lord promises to bless Ishmael and to make him a great nation. So the Lord proclaims that Sarah will give birth to a son next year. Now, in, in the latter part of chapter 17, we're going to see that Abraham circumcises his whole household, all the males in his household, including himself. Okay? So Abraham 
was circumcised along with his son Ishmael and all the males in his household. Now, when you circumcise a baby, that's the best time to do it. When you circumcise a male, they are laid up for a couple of weeks or more. Okay? That is very brutal. Okay? Very brutal. So, now we get to chapter 18. And the confirmation of the promise. So here's where we get an interesting story concerning Sodom again. But it's intertwined in this story of the promise. Okay? So, the Lord and two others appear to Abraham who prepares a meal for them. So he has these visitors. Three men show up, or three what appear to be men show up. And Abram offers what is culturally the thing to do, hospitality. He sets food before them. He prepares food for them. But he recognizes that the one is the Lord. Okay? The Lord shows up. The two others we will find out later are angels. Okay? So they're there. All right? And so the Lord reaffirms that Sarah will have a son. So the Lord reaffirms to Abraham, Sarah is going to have a son. Okay? Now, Sarah laughs as she considers having a son, and the Lord hears her. Now, at this point, Abraham's 99 years old. Sarah is 89. Now, if you told an 89-year-old today that you're going to have a baby, what would they do to you? Laugh. So it's a natural reaction. She laughs. The Lord hears her. The Lord even asks, why did she laugh? And then she says, I didn't laugh. She did laugh. When the child is, he even tells, when this baby is born, call him Isaac. What? Laughter. Laughter. In fact, next week we're going to see that she said, God made me laugh and made all those who knew that I gave birth to this child laugh with me. Laughter is his name. Okay? So, Sarah laughs as she considers having a son and the Lord hears her. As the Lord and the two others leave, he shares with Abraham concerning the coming judgment. So this is the great passage in 18 of the intercession of Abraham for Sodom or for the cities of the plain. Because God says to him, the report has come to him, the outcry against the city is great, and he's going to go look for himself. Look for himself. Okay? So the Lord announces that he will go and judge Sodom and Gomorrah because of its sin. Now, I've got a good question for you. Probably some of you have an immediate answer, but I want you to think about it. What was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that caused them to be destroyed? What was the sin? Okay, that's that's good, Tim. Okay, all right. Anybody else? 
mostly today, I, th I see everybody's hesitant. Okay, so mostly today, when you hear people talk about why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, they'll say because of homosexuality. Well, actually, that was one part of it, but that's not what the scripture will later say is the reason why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Yes. Well, that not just their hospitality, that's true. They didn't show hospitality then, but the prophets will say later, okay, the prophets will say later, one of the minor prophets makes the point that Jerusalem sin is greater than the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that Sodom and Gomorrah, their sin was, are you ready for this? Their materialism. Their materialism and their turning away, like Tim said, away from God. And of course, because it's a Gentile nation where they focused on themselves and what they wanted, they went off into the fulfillment of all their desires, which ultimately leads to the issue of homosexuality which would be Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through the end of the chapter. It talks about the decline of Gentile nations, where they go off into that sin. So we could say that homosexuality is not, that's the one that's prominent when we see what happens with the angels there, but that's not the whole reason why. The prophets would later say it's because of their materialism and their rejection of God. So they were destroyed. Now, oh, that's scary, isn't it? We live in a country like that right now, don't we? Do you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, that's just, that's just letting you know God has a toleration point with nations. We've already seen that earlier because he said the sins of the Amorites are not, what, complete. There's a point where God has a has a point where he's done with nations because of their sins. So he announces that he's going to go judge Sodom and Gomorrah because of its sin. Now, Abraham intercedes for the righteous in Sodom, and the Lord promises not to destroy the city for ten. What you see here is an interaction between him because who's in Sodom? Lot, his nephew. So Abraham would be concerned. He wouldn't be concerned about the unrighteous dying. He would be concerned about the righteous perishing. So he's like, well, Lord, you know, if there's if there's 50, would you spare the, the city for 50? And and what you see here is, is, this is typical of the way they interacted back then. He gets it, the Lord to say that he would spare the city for what? 10. For 10. Now you're going to find out that there isn't ten. There's only four that are taken away. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Four. And, and I've heard some theologians say that Abraham should have pressed for more. Do you know what I'm saying? Save it for one. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, God had a reason. Okay? God had a reason. So the two angels came to Sodom and light invited them to his home for the evening. So... They come into the city, they come into the city square, probably there's a well there, and they're going to make their home there. And what was customary in that time is, is that you would take strangers into your house. And nobody was taking them in, and so Lot invites them in. 
They, of course, want to stay in the square. He probably knows better that this isn't a place to be hanging out in the square and invites them into his home. The angel the angels pronounced that Sodom will be destroyed and that Lot's family must flee. Okay? So they're letting him know, God's going to destroy this place. You need to get out of here. So the men of Sodom came to Lot's house demanding the two visitors to rape them. Now, you're talking about this is a deterioration of a culture and a society that you get to this point, okay? A deterioration of a culture and a society that you get to this point. So the angels struck the men blind and removed Lot and his family from Sodom. So I'm just giving you a brief overview here, okay? Being warned to flee and not look back, Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. I remember as a kid back in the 70s, remember Leonard Nimoy, In Search Of? They did an episode on In Search Of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I guess in the Valley of the Dead Sea there, there are these pillars of salt. And I remember Leonard Nimoy going around wondering which one of these was Lot's wife. Who knows? It makes for a good TV show. Okay, But the fact is that she looked back. Why did she look back? Well, some people say she looked back longingly because she wanted to be in Sodom. That's speculation. Hey, you ever been on the road and there's an accident on the other side of the highway and your lane of traffic heading in the other direction where there is no, what, accident at all? They're slowing down. Why? Because everybody's, what, rubbernecking, looking over at the other because everybody's taking, maybe she was just taking a look at what was happening. Wouldn't you be curious? to see how it was happening? Well, the fact is that she was judged because she was told not to do that. Okay? So the Lord destroyed the cities of the plain with fire and brimstone. He destroyed the cities of the plain with fire and brimstone. Destroyed them in one day. Completely wiped them out. In fact, here's how complete the destruction is. I don't think you ever hear of anyone saying that they, except for Lot's family, were a survivor from Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed them all. Do you understand? Usually when there's a war, there's maybe some kind of survivor or something. There is no survivor here. He killed them all. He destroyed them all for their sin. You say, well, that's a cruel God. No, that's the God who judges sin. Man chooses to do otherwise. So listen, if you're roaring through town here at 55 miles an hour and the local town cop pulls you over for speeding, do you look at him and say to him, you're cruel and you're mean for pulling me over and giving me that ticket? No, you don't say that. You know you were speeding. You were doing wrong. God has a system set up. Okay? So because of fear, this is just a really... I'm. I'm pulling a lot of different things in here. He was he went to the town of Zor, I think it was Zor, but he didn't he was fearful of being there, so he went and hid in a cave. He fled to a cave with his daughters. Now, you might be saying, 
If he flees to a city, why would he be afraid of being in that city? You need to understand the thinking of the ancients. Okay? you got to be thinking about the thinking of the ancients. They would be wondering if God's curse was on you. You know what I'm saying? And that judgment was coming for you. They would be afraid of them. That's the way they thought back then. So they would be fearful of somebody wanting to kill them because they just came from a place that had just been judged. Okay? There must be something wrong with you. And so they go and flee to a cave. Now here is probably one of the most horrendous things to happen. Okay? So he's in a cave with his two daughters. The daughters were impregnated through an incestuous relationship with their drunken father. So, I mean, if you're, you're two young maidens with your dad living in a cave, how are you going to meet somebody? So what they decide to do is get dad drunk so that they can, their pressure is there to continue on the family line, and both of them become pregnant through their dad. Now, let me just remind you, Peter very clearly says that Lot was a righteous man. But he's drunk. Okay? He's drunk, and this happens. And so the daughters are impregnated through an incestuous relationship. And they gave birth to Moab and Ben-Imi, the fathers of the Moabites and the Ammonites. Now, anybody know who the Moabites and the Ammonites are? They're enemies of who? Israel. Okay? In fact, when Israel tries to go back to, uh, go back to, um, Canaan to take the promised land, they have interactions with the Moabites and the, and the Ammonites, and it's not good. It's not good. Okay?